message last week, which was actually, it was good because it, I could have really split it up into two places, but we're talking about being connected. And uh, so last week, I want to go through the verses that we did look at last week real quick. Uh, if you have a Bible, um, you can turn to them. If you don't get there, they're on the screen. They're in view version. You can use your phone, your iPad, whatever you got. Uh, to follow along there, but I want to really get down to the second part of my message, so I'm just going to kind of blow through these first few verses. Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, we're talking about being connected, being connected. Ephesians chapter 1 says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. This verse is speaking of Jesus. And Jesus is the has all things under his feet. And he is the head over the church, which is his body. Okay? And is the fullness of him who fills all in all. Which means Jesus needs you. Jesus needs the church. He is not fullness. He's not filled all in all without you. Without us. Okay? The head has to have a body. The head has to have a body. So Jesus is the head. The church is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Ephesians chapter 4. Go over just a few more chapters. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ there it is again the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into, the, into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And then go over to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. Amen. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. And this verse says, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. So we've noticed here we have three different passages. Three different passages that all say the same thing. Jesus is the head. The church is the body. Jesus is the head. The church is the body. The first connection the church must make is to the head. Period. And we've seen this before. A body without a head is dead. Period. If you do not have a head on your body, you are not alive. You are not doing anything. You are not fruitful. You're not producing results. You're not making influence. You're not impacting anybody. The church is the body of Christ. Just like what you see here is the body of me, Pastor Mark. This is my body. This is my head. Nobody, uh, you know, so far, those of you that have come and said hello to me this morning, none of you said, hey, Pastor Mark, and your body? No, you said, good morning, Pastor Mark. How are you doing, Pastor Mark? It's all one. It says that the fullness of Christ is his body. That's us, the church. In the earth. Now, the problem, and I just stated this a little bit earlier, the problem that we have is when Jesus said church, we don't say the same thing. When we say church, we don't mean the same thing Jesus said. When we say church, we think, oh, yeah, that place that I go to Sunday morning at 1030, and we get out around 12 or so, and we have church on Wednesday nights at 7, and that's church, and I'm going to Church, But Jesus didn't talk about the church as a place you go to. He talked about the church as a place that, uh, of a people that you are. Something that you are. This is what you call a congregation. This is what you call a church service. And we have to get the, the difference between church 
and the church service, we've got to make that different. Uh, we've got to make the difference there. We've got to split the difference there. The church is not the sum of the church service. The church is a group of people. In fact, you can say it this way. The church has come to service this morning. The church has congregated at 2314 U.S. Highway 84 in Valdosta, Georgia. You are the church. You are the church, the people. Just because we have a sign that says church on it, that doesn't make us a church. So we've got to get the right definition because when we get the right definition, then we'll become who we're supposed to be. The the biggest reason we miss purpose is because we don't understand how to use something or what it's for, right? So if we want to understand the purpose of the church, if the church is going to operate in all the power that it's supposed to operate in, we just read in Matthew 16 that the first time Jesus even talks about the church, he associates it with power. Yet if you look at the church today uh, on, on on a global picture, not a whole lot of power associated with the church. I remember I, I read a thing uh, just a while back that, you know, the, the, the same-sex thing is a big agenda in our nation right now, homosexuality. And I read an article that said the nation is really like 50-50 on it. 50 say it's okay and 50 say no, it's not okay. The church is 50-50 on it. 50% say it's okay, 50% say it's not okay. How are we going to change anything? How is the church supposed to fix anything out there when we are 50-50? No, it should be 100%. The church should be 100%. No, this is what the word of God says. And let the world be their 50-50. And until we get to 100%, we won't change the 50% that's got it wrong. But that's just same-sex marriage. I mean, we can go all across the board to where now our messages in churches has been uh, surfaced. I mean, I was in a a prayer meeting with other pastors in town, and we were talking about truth. Just a couple weeks ago, talking about truth. And and he spoke up, this one pastor spoke up and said, you know, know, truth is the funny thing. And, you know, we really need to know what truth is because... You know, how he can read one scripture and it can mean one thing, and he can read one scripture and it can mean another thing. And, and the problem is, you know, we just need to come into unity and, you know, we need to unify and we need to understand that, you know, uh, you know, at least we all believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again. Okay, so your definition of unity is me come down to you, not you come up to me. Because I know more than just Jesus Christ died on the cross. In fact, for me, the cross is just the starting point, not the ending. I didn't finish my life at the cross. I started my life. Jesus finished because he said it is finished. He didn't mean us. He meant him, his work. That's why he's up in heaven sitting down at the right hand of the Father and the earth is his footstool. He is sitting in a nice cushy throne with his feet propped up because the church is supposed to be doing it. My body, I'm the head. The orders come from the head. Direction comes from the head. You notice that all of the, just about all of your five senses, what are they? Hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, seeing. Almost all of them are in the head except for touching. But even the touching needs the head. You ever had your eyes closed and felt around you don't know exactly what you're feeling? But you need the head to tell you. There's a lot of churches that are feeling a lot of stuff, but they aren't connected to the head to tell them what they're feeling. The church has to be connected to the head. That's the first connection, and we saw that last week. We have to be connected to the head. That's where the direction comes. That's where the the life comes. We talked about we are connected to the life giver. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
so this place shouldn't be dead. <laughs> we should be full of life. If, you're going, if, if you find a dead church, because they're not connected to the head who's giving life. Because here's the thing, and we, we, this is why we have to quit making the separation between Jesus and the church. There's no separation. So when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, the church should be the way, the truth, and the life. People should be coming to you looking for direction in life because you're the way. People should be coming to you looking for answers because you're the truth. And people should be coming to you for life because that's what we give. Jesus is the hope of the world. Yep. And Jesus is in the earth today in the form of you. So we can't make that disconnect. Go to Romans chapter 12. No, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Sorry. Just seeing if you're paying attention this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And there is so much to be said about this next connection. I, I hope that I've been able to bring home the connection to the head over the last few weeks. And I know it's been challenging. I know that it's been straightforward. You know, some people tell me, man, you know, Pastor Mark, you're preaching hard. No, actually, I'm making it easy. I mean, he said, Jesus said, there's a wide road and there's a narrow road. Narrow roads are easy. See, if I'm out on a road and it's just one way or one lane going two different directions and I'm on one side of it, there, you, it's real hard to get lost. I mean, you're, you're there. I, I come from a, a, a pretty big city where you can have your expressways with five or six lanes all the way across the thing at any given time. You know, here we have I-75 with two or three at some times. But then when you get on those one-lane roads, I mean, that's it. That's easy. That's when we get into the wide stuff, and we like the wide stuff. We like the wide stuff because it gives us options, right? We don't feel like we're boxed in and you have to do this thing. And we don't have to. Remember what, uh, remember what Josh, uh, God told Joshua? He said, this day I put before you life and death. Now, how many of you could take that test right now and pass it? Come on, how many could pass that? If, if, if you had to choose between life and death, how many of you would choose life? Okay, how many of you would choose death? Nobody. But then God even goes a step further and he says, choose life. <laughs> I mean, how would you like to go into school and, or you know, somewhere where you have to take a test and then they give you the answer? It, it's multiple choice, A or B. It's obvious, and then they give you the answer on top of that. That's my kind of test right there. So when we get into this wide gate stuff, and that's when, well, you know, it gives me room to play around over here, and then, you know, I can come over here, and I can choose to do this. And he's saying, man, if you just stay on the narrow road, it's easy. I make all the choices for you. My, I have already ordained your steps. The Bible says that he directs the steps of a righteous man. That's the kind of life I want to live. Not wondering, okay, which one's the next one? Where, what am I supposed to? No, there it is. Okay, there it is. Okay, that one, one step at a time. That's the kind of life I want to live. And so I'm actually making things easy by identifying what the church is supposed to look like. Now we can clearly know our purpose and operate in it. I want this church to bring power to this city. I want church to... I want this church to make power available for our community. And I tell you, they're coming to us. I told you just a few weeks ago I had a councilman come to me, come to us as pastors and say, what are we going to do about this? Most people will say, you're in the government. You figure it out. But I know. I know why you're coming to me because I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you're trying to get an answer to something that's not natural, because it's not a gun problem, not a drug problem, not an underage problem, it's a sin problem. And I got the answer for sin. I got the answer. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to kind of get an idea of why the church hasn't been as powerful as it should be. And 
Let's look at verse 12 here. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body. So right there in the first verse, we see that it's one body, many members. I mean, I think he made that pretty clear. He said many like several times. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that body being many are one body, so also is Christ. He almost sounds like he's repeating himself, but he's bringing it home. Verse 13, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many, in case you didn't get it in the previous verse. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? Let's keep going. But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. Reminding you once again. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. See, look, Jesus can't even say, you know, I don't need the church. I got this covered. Because he's the head and we're the body. I know it sounds weird, but Jesus needs you. God don't need nothing. God's all powerful. God's uh, sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. No, he can't. He can't lie. He can't sin. He can't change. He's the God that never changes. I mean, we just we, we put this sovereign thing, this sovereign blanket on God when the only thing he's sovereign to is his word. If it's here, it's binding. He can't change that because he never changes his word. He said himself, my word will never pass away. My word will not come back to me void. It will go and accomplish that which I send it out to do. So if he says here that Jesus is the head and we are the body and the head can't say to the body, I don't need you, then that means Jesus needs us. Let's keep going. Where are we at? Verse 22. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism or division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. See, this morning I'm suffering a little bit because someone who I'm connected to in St. Augustine lost their husband last week. And I'm suffering because I'm a part of the body. Anybody ever woken up in the middle of the night and nailed the bedpost with your toe? Your toe wasn't the only one suffering. It's amazing how that little toe, who we hardly even think about 99% of the time, can cause this whole body to reek in pain, hit the ground like a little baby and just wallow in our pain and suffering. Why? Because when one suffers... We all suffer. You didn't, you didn't look at your toe and say, what are you crying about? Get over it. No, the whole body was down on the floor saying, why did that just happen? Right? Because when one member suffers, we all suffer. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. He wraps all that up and he says, now all this that I was saying about the head and to the foot and the eye to the ear, that's you. And you have individual members. 
The second connection that we have to make as a church, one is we have to be connected to the head. The second connection is you have to be connected to each other. We have to be connected to each other. This is one of the biggest reasons why churches, uh, one of the biggest reasons why churches are powerless today is because there's division and strife and all kinds of crazy junk going on inside the church. Inside the church. See, without a head, the body is dead. Without each other, the body is paralyzed. And it makes it very hard to influence and impact and do anything if you're paralyzed. In fact, paralyzed people, uh, they actually have to spend more time taking care of themselves than they can others. So here's what happens. Here's what happens when we become paralyzed. That we no longer are able to make influence on the outside because of the mess that's going on on the inside. So we have to, do we take care of each other? Absolutely. I'll tell you right now, uh, 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 back in 2009, I think it was, uh, I was playing flag football. Travis, could you uh, hit the air for me? Just knock the air on. <coughs> it starts out cold, and then by the time you get to 10 o'clock, you're steaming. Uh, you can put it on about, it should be about 70 or so. Yeah. Um, 2009, I was playing flag football, and um, <laughs> Joshua Clay, many of you know him, crazy guy. Uh, I went to go grab his flag, and he's wearing shorts with pockets. And so I went to go grab that flag and got my finger stuck in his pocket and just snapped it, my ring finger. Boom. And I'd, I'd never broken anything in my life. I didn't know I broke it. I thought I jammed it. And so I was like, ah, oh, I didn't look down. I was like, I, I knew what I did, and I was like, you know, hurting. And then I was walking over by the sidelines, and, and someone looked at me and was like, I was like, what, it's just a damn thing. I looked down, and my finger's on top of my other finger. <laughs> it's like, I mean, it's not pretty at all. So I'm like, wow, okay, what do we do now? I, I, I don't even know what to do. I'm like, do, who do we call? What, where do we go for this? I mean, what, what do you do about that? I, I have no idea. So uh, we had a guy in our church who was a paramedic, and so uh, I, he did not know. There's no way he knew. Uh, that I knew I broke my finger. I think he, I think he, he must not have known that I knew that my finger was broken because he's he came over and he was like, "Oh yeah, it's all right, man. We're, we're gonna get this." And he like grabbed my arm and I got this other guy like holding my shoulder and uh, he's like trying to make. He's like, "Man, you're gonna be all right. No big deal, you know. I, I, let, me, let me just look at it real quick." And then, boom, sets it in place. That's when the pain came in. <laughs> was the setting snapped it and he didn't get it completely in place because now I can't close it all the way they wanted to do surgery I said forget it uh, so it doesn't close all the way but I, I still have use but anyways when that happened my whole body knew it and for about the next five or six weeks the rest of my body came to my aid because I happened to be left-handed so I couldn't write. I couldn't do things that I normally do. Taking a shower was a joke. Getting dressed, hilarious. You wake up in the middle of the night and you're knocking stuff. It's, you don't know what's going on. And, but the rest of my body had to come to the aid of my finger. See, when one hurts and when something's going on, we can help each other. But what happened? A correction needed to, be taken, needed to take place. What if I would have just left my ring finger sitting up on top of my middle finger? What would that look like? What if it healed that way? It would be hilarious. It would be weird. It would be ridiculous. No, I had to get it set. I had to get it put back in place. I had to get that thing corrected. I didn't just leave it. Anybody ever been sick before? <laughs> Easy question. That's because your body is either having trouble fighting something off 
or it's working against itself. Any of you ever been like seriously sick and you just left it alone? Ah, you know, it'll, it'll fix itself. No, you went and corrected it. You got some vitamin C if it was a cold. You went and got some medicine. You went and got some painkillers. You went and got a muscle relaxer. You went and had a procedure done. You went and saw the doctor if it was something real serious that, man, we got to get this thing figured out. Why? Because the body is working abnormally, working against itself, and we need to fix it. So in the church, when the body is working against itself, we've got to bring correction to that. We have to fix that. Because if we let that take place, I'm going to tell you right now, you have a pastor that cares who comes in here. And I won't let just anybody in and run their course and do what they want. In fact, Jesus warned against that. He said there will be those wolves in sheep's clothing. And they will come in and they will try to stir up the body. As a good shepherd, I guard that. As a good shepherd, that's my responsibility. Why? Because just like when cold season comes around and symptoms try to come in and something's trying to come in that is fighting your body, I have a responsibility to get that out of my body. You have that responsibility. You go against it. You fight it. You bring stuff to it. I would do the same thing as a pastor. Not just anybody's coming up here. And talking to you, not just anybody's coming up here and leading worship, not just anybody is teaching your kids. No. I got to know, is this to help the body or is this to hurt the body? And as soon as that comes up and I sense there's strife, dissension, grumbling and complaining, backbiting, gossiping, I'll tell you right now, the church that he's writing to here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that was one jacked up church. Just go ahead and tell you. They were messed up. Go ahead and read the stuff they're doing. Sleeping with each other's uh, moms and uh, uh, backbiting, gossiping. I mean, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, basically right out the book, right out the get-go, he says, man, you know, when I left you, I left you with all kinds of resources and principles to be able to, you should be in a much different place spiritually. You should be eating the meat of the word. But you're babies. I'm still having to give you milk. Why? Because you're gossiping and you're back. Silly stuff. Oh, yeah, that's in every church. No. Not in his church. He said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. Not just any church. And he's the one building it. He has not delegated the responsibility of building his church to anybody, not even me. I'm not building this church. Jesus is building the church. Jesus is building this church. I'm a co-laborer, and so are you. We're all co-laborers. And so we've got to understand our role in the church, and then we've got to understand our connection to each other. I mean, you know, I've said it before. What if I woke up this morning and my left arm just said, you know what, taking the day off. Uh, you know, I've been working, I've been doing this thing for 29 years, almost 30 now, and, you know, I, I think I deserve a day off. So I'm, I'm just going to lay here. You guys do what you got to do. And so I walk around and, and, and things that I need to do, and this little, this left arm over here is just dangling, just hanging out, doing what it wants to do. No. All of my body is working, and as soon as any of it stops working, I get it checked out, and I get it corrected, and I get it fixed. Okay, so we are members. We all have a part to play. And then I like what he says back in, uh, uh, where, where is he? Verse 18. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body as it pleases him. 
Well, you know, I'm working in children's because Pastor Mark asked me to. No, you're not pleasing me. You're pleasing him. It's pleasing to God. We have to understand that he has put us there. See, God put my foot where it belonged. What if he put my foot where my ear was? Where my ear is? That would look weird. You're out of place. But no, my foot is on the bottom of my body because it is the purpose of the foot is to help me walk. We're all members. We're all members. And no member is greater than the other. He talks about it. He says, even the ones that you don't see, they're actually more honorable. You know where I, you know where I like to place honor in this church? is on our children's workers. I love to do that. I, I operated, I worked in children's ministry for quite some time. But that is such a phenomenal asset to the body when we have uh, gifted teachers that love children and want to spend time with children. So you can sit over here and you can hear the word preached in peace. But not only that, so they can receive the word on their level because they're not back there babysitting right now. I'll tell you right now. They're not just changing diapers and giving them a couple gummy bears in a, in a juice box and saying, all right, have fun, do what you want. No, we're teaching the word over there. <laughs> they're learning. In fact, they're learning what you're learning this morning because I have set up our curriculum over there to go right in line with what you're learning. That means on the way home and when you get home, you can be talking about uh, my church with your kids. They're learning about the body. They're learning about working together. I set up a little demonstration where, you know, one kid has to try to pick up something heavy all by himself. And then say, all right, now you, uh, you come help this one. And now the two of them can carry it and get it where it's supposed to go, where the one couldn't do it by themselves. See, none of us have, are meant to do it by ourselves. The one body of the church has many members. And he has set them there as it pleases him to accomplish a purpose. I mean, why church? Why are we here? I'll tell you right now, and, and this might blow some of you away, and you just need to keep coming because <laughs> we'll get to it. But the purpose of the church is not to win the lost. The purpose of the church is not to win the lost. That's all I'm going to give you. You just have to keep coming. We'll get to it. Winning the lost will happen. That will take place. But that is not why we're here. Okay? Go to Romans chapter 12. A disconnected body is a paralyzed body. I don't know how many of you have been in that boat where part of your body has gone down and the rest of your body has to take up for it and make up for it and carry away. I mean, my right arm got a, got a pretty good workout during those five or six weeks, doing things that it wasn't used to doing. I mean, my, right, my right hand, uh, by the end of the six weeks, I got pretty good at writing, my name at least. I just kept practicing. I probably should have practiced the alphabet, but just kept practicing my name. I had M-A-R-N-K down, four out of 26. But my right arm, my, and, and, and doing the little mouse on the computer, because I was working at a, a job where I had to work a computer, and I, I had to go on there and switch the buttons backwards, and I, it's a mess. Thank God for all of our thank God for all of our parts being in the right place at the right time and all working and doing their fit and bringing their supply. Amen. Romans chapter 12 verse 4 says for as we have many members in one body but all the members do not have the same function so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. I want to read that verse in the uh, New Living Translation. I don't have it up on the screen um, or even on you version, I think, but I just want to read it so you can just listen to it. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. 
Remember when we said we defined that word my in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And that word my in the Greek is not the word my as in belonging to. It's, in, it's my as in possessing because it's attached to. We are attached to each other. We belong to each other. This is family. That's why we do things like we're going to do this afternoon for family potluck. Because it's good to hang out and fellowship and spend time with each other. That's important. We make a big deal out of being at church. But there's so many different things that we do. We have prayer Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. where the body can bring us supply. We have times where we fellowship. We have uh, women's meetings. We have men's meetings. We do all kinds of things where the body can come together as a family and fellowship, hang out, spend time with each other because we belong to each other. We're attached to each other. We are together in this thing. I mean, any time a part of my body decides to not want to work, I'm going straight to the doctor and getting it back in line. Well, you know, that's all right if my stomach doesn't want to work today. No, that's a problem. Why? Because it serves the whole body. Me eating, just the stomach's role. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff in here. There's my mouth and my teeth that chew it and break it down, my tongue that tastes it, and that's how I enjoy it. Then you have an esophagus that moves it down to the stomach. What if one of them decides not to work? Then I can't eat, and then the entire body becomes malnourished. Just one. And here's the thing. You can't even see my stomach. So we make a big deal out of the pastor and those that teach and those that have titles and those that are up here, you know, doing worship and stuff. But some of the greatest parts of my body, in fact, a lot of the parts of my body that I cannot live without, of, would live without, you can't even see them right now. You can't even see what they're doing. You can't see the, see the brain activity and the stuff that's going on up here. You can't see what my lungs are doing right now. But they're working. You can't see my digestive system, thank goodness. You can't see my bones that are holding everything up. We make a big deal on this outside stuff, and we're, you know, that's the stuff we spend time on. We're fixing it up, both naturally and in the church. But then we don't spend time on getting a good supportive staff going, the structure that holds it together. Here at this church, Elevate, that's the name of our supportive ministry, because that's what God says. He says, if you will... Uh, come low and serve that he'll exalt you and he'll lift you up. So we call it elevate. That's what keeps this thing going. On a larger scale, like back, like down in St. Augustine, you don't have elevate. People don't know where to park. People don't know where bathrooms are. People don't know where to take their kids. People don't know where to get an offering envelope. People don't know where to sit, where the handicapped space is, where the deaf section is. And it's just as important here. And that's how you serve and bring your supply to the body. It's through Elevate, through supportive ministry, through the helps ministry, which is in the Bible. It's right there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Helps administration. Right now, I do most of that, but, you know, most churches, they have either secretaries or church administrators that handle a lot of the meetings and the administrative stuff, the financial stuff, that's necessary. That is a ministry. Well, they don't have a microphone. They're not preaching to anybody. That's not what ministry means. Ministry means serve. Jesus came to minister. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. We talked about that a few weeks ago in givers and takers. And the church has become more taker-minded than giver Minded, But Jesus, who we are, the body of Christ, said, I came to this earth not to, ser- or not to be served, but to serve. Which means the purpose of the church is to serve the world. But a lot of us, we come to church services, and we want to be served. Well, no one ever prays for me. No one ever cares about my problems. Well, take care of someone else and find out that when the time comes, they'll, that you'll be taken care of too how the church works look at 
Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verse 17. So we are one unit, but many members. That means we should all have the same goals. We should all be advancing towards the same thing. We should all believe the same thing. Unity is one of the hardest things that people are hard-pressed to get. In this nation, we can't unify on anything. It's like we build people up just to tear them back down again. We vote people into office just to talk about them and bring them back down. Government, we have democracy, uh, Democrats, Republicans, independents. I mean, don't make, if, if you don't believe any of that, then just make up a new one. No, we have to, and I'll tell you right now, the kingdom of God is not a democracy. Thank God it's not a democracy. In this earth, it works. Well, it doesn't work, but. Kingdom mentality would be rough on people that have free will. But in the kingdom of God, you just do what the king says. You have a king, and you obey him. God is king, and you obey. Very simple. In fact, he's already ordered your steps. He's already laid them out. That's a pretty good king. And this king has your best interest at heart because he's motivated by true love. Let's talk about defining words. How many of you think the world has a different definition for love than Jesus did? Yeah. See, our lives should be spent trying to find out what the Bible says. That's why I said last week we need to be, we need to rightly divide the word. That means don't wrongly divide it. You can rightly divide it, or you can wrongly divide it. What, is right, what does rightly divide mean? Find out what God meant. Now, I mentioned that prayer meeting I was in, and the pastor you know, wanted us to all unify around his thing. And he said, you know, how are we supposed to know truth? And I told him, I said, it's actually really easy. And Jesus talked about it in John chapter 14, John chapter 15, John chapter 16. He said, when I leave, I'm going to leave you with the Holy Spirit. And he is the spirit of truth and he will lead you into all truth and he will guide you into all truth he's your helper i said when we stop rejecting the holy spirit we'll quit rejecting truth it's very simple make a big deal about god make a big deal about jesus but i'm telling you right now neither one of them are here they are both in heaven sitting down, waiting for us to do something. And Jesus said, I'm giving you a helper, and he will be in you and with you on the earth. So when we find out what the Holy Spirit wants to say, because he's leading and guiding us into truth, then we'll know truth. Amen? Luke chapter 11, verse 17. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, that's a bad place to be when Jesus knows your thoughts. But he knowing their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub, and I cast out de- and if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God. Surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. What is he saying? He's saying the church, if it's attacking itself and is divided against itself, it can't stand. It can't operate and it can't affect anything. But he said, but if I cast out demons by the finger of God, which means one entity fighting another entity, not the entity fighting itself, then you know the kingdom of God has come upon you. The only way the church is going to bring the kingdom of God to the earth is when we uh, take our uh, momentum and put it towards demonic forces and not ourselves. We're busy trying to cast demons out of each other. And we need to be going into the world and changing those situations and talking to those people that are lost and dying and going to hell. 
and praying against what's going on out there. A kingdom divided against itself will not stand. Division keeps us from having, uh, division on the inside keeps us from having any influence on the outside. This is why we got to get the church bigger than these four walls. And they all look different. There are churches smaller than this. There are churches meeting in living rooms. There are churches meeting in prisons. There are churches meeting in large buildings, theaters, all kinds of places all around the world. But that's not the church. That's a congregation. And that's a place to congregate. That's why uh, the writer of Hebrews said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. Don't forsake the church coming together as one body, one corporate unit. There is a necessity to come together. We can't say, well, you know, since I'm the church, I don't need to go to church. I, you know, I'll just stay at home. I'll watch it on TV, watch it on the internet, listen to somebody on the radio. I read my Bible. The Holy Spirit lives in me so he can show me. No, the word makes it very clear that apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, they are given to the body to equip you, the body, for the work of ministry. So, We still need pastors. We still need teachers. We still need prophets. We still need evangelists. We still need the five-fold ministry. We still need to come together, as Hebrews 10, 23 says. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. But when we go out, what are we doing? That's the question. And that's why we've got to learn how to be his church. And here's the thing. We have to take care of what's going on inside before we'll ever do anything outside. That's why we just, you know, aren't right out the gate doing stuff in the community and outreaches. And we will. This year, I believe, we'll get involved with a lot of that. God is already starting to give me some direction. But I first got to build up what we have here. Get us unified here. I mean, if we have trouble coming to church on a Sunday or a Wednesday, then we're going to have trouble showing up on a Saturday to feed some homeless people and to hand out some, uh, you know, Get some hot dogs going, you know, for some people over in in rougher parts of town. If we have trouble getting involved right here and getting instruction and being built up for the work of ministry, then how are we going to do the ministry? And we all come in from different walks of life. And so we've all got to get unified because, I mean, I've said it before. We all probably in this different room, in, in this room, probably all have different ideas of church based upon how we were raised, based upon what churches we went to, based upon the fact we never went to church, we got to learn from scratch, based upon what our parents did, based upon what our pastors used to say. That's why I told you when I started this, the first week of January, I said, everything you know about church, get rid of it. Start from scratch. Jesus did the same thing when he came. He said, repent. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. What was he saying? Get rid of everything you know about God because I'm about to bring the kingdom. And the ones that wouldn't repent were the ones that Jesus has a conversation with and says, well, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again, Nicodemus, a Pharisee. And Nicodemus says, i got to go back into my mother's womb Hmm, somebody didn't repent. I told you when I came, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You don't even understand what I'm saying because you failed on the first step I gave you to change your thinking. Because that's what repent means. When I say repentance, I don't mean uh, everybody come down and let's get at the altar and ask God to forgive us of our sins. That's not repentance. Repentance is when I see this and says, oh, I'm supposed to love my enemies. I'm going to have to love my enemies. I haven't been treating them right. That's repentance. I just changed my thinking. Oh, I'm, oh, this says I'm supposed to give 10% to the Lord. I haven't been doing that. Okay, I've got to repent. It's not because of sin. It's because I didn't think that way. I didn't see it that way. And now I have to change the way I think. 
Pharisees and Sadducees failed to do that. They didn't change their thinking. They didn't change the way that they heard Jesus speak, and they ultimately killed him for failure of repentance. So that's why I said that first week, get rid of everything you know about church, whether it's good or whether it's bad. If it was good, we'll bring it back. If it was bad, thank God we got rid of that, and now we can operate as a church like we're supposed to. Now we can move forward, advance the kingdom of God in this city, in our communities, on your jobs, at your kids' Little League games, where you work, in your business, learning about his church. What does his church look like? Look, we all come from, from, from different levels of maturity as well. But that doesn't mean that, that that shouldn't discourage anybody. Every time I go to the gym and work out, there is always somebody there that lifts more than I do. Obviously. And I don't walk in there and go, man, I'm never going to do 300 pounds. Forget it. No. I go in there and I throw my little 135 on there and let's go. Let's bust it out. Let's try 145 today. Get somebody to spot me. Say, hey, I might not be able to get this all the way by myself. Can you help me? But no, in this day and age, we're too prideful to do that. We think we got to come into church and already have it together. No, this is where we're growing up. This is where we're learning. This is where we're being educated. This is where we're being instructed to go out there and change the world. There's nobody doing a 5K has never stepped in a gym or never worked out. You can't cheat your way to those things. Unless you're Lance Armstrong. There is a way. <clears throat> Cheating. Not the right way. But no, they train for those things. And yeah, there were probably people that were in that gym doing way more, but they kept at it. That's what this place is. You're working out. We just saw in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, until you grow up. This isn't a place of grown-ups. This is a place of people that are maturing and that are learning. No matter where you're at, we can grow. I don't care if you've been saved one day or if you've been, I tell you right now, some of the people that you know pastors have the hardest time with are the ones that are grown up. Because then we get to the point of, well, I already know it all. I've heard that before. I'll go next door to these kids who are ready and excited to learn, ready to put it to use, man. They just sit there. And then they walk out. Did you know that God has established a kingdom on earth? Did you know that, Mommy? Did you know that, Daddy? Why? Childlike faith. But it's us that have these years and years of religion and years of years of church going on in our heads, and we're like, man, I, I don't know if that's true. That can't be right. That's not the way my old pastor used to teach it. No, forget it. No, when Paul said, be like the Bereans. Get in the Word and study it for yourself. Don't believe anything because I say it. And definitely don't go somewhere and say, man, Pastor Mark says, no. There's a really bad story in the book of Acts about seven sons of Sceva that tried to pull that one off and said, in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, come out. And they got their tails tore up. It's bad. You better find it for yourself. Better be a studier. I said last week, you will not casually get this. It's not an accident. Oh, I just happened to open my Bible today and this fell out. But God just, no. He said, I will bring things to your remembrance, which means it had to be in there at some point. And so we got to be studiers of the word, be active about it, aggressive about it. I want to know more. I want to do more. I want to be his church. And his church is more than showing up on Sunday morning. His church is more than coming on Wednesday night. His church is more than that. This is actually a small part of it. This is actually the instruction. 
where we get built up. And yes, there's life here. And if we have issues, we can come here and we can get help because the body helps itself. Even when you go to the doctor, they do certain things and even medications they give you, it's to build your body back up so it can fight off the things. It's something that comes alongside your body and gets your body to do what it's supposed to do. But the ultimate goal is to get the body to do it. And so, yes, I'm not saying you have to come in here with no pains and no problems and no issues. It's not what I'm saying at all. We'll have issues. We'll have trials and tribulations. But he said, be of good cheer. We should respond differently than the world does. I mean, you should be standing right next to someone who's lost in the world at your job. Your boss come to you and say, I'm having to let you both go. And we should have two completely different responses. From the one, you'll probably have, I don't know what I'm going to do. I got kids at home. I, I got a wife. I mean, this is all I know. This is all I've been able to do. And the other one, we should have, God's going to provide. He's my source. Something's coming. Two completely different responses. And you know what that's called? Being a light in dark. You have darkness, and then that person turns to you and says, how come you're so calm? What? You're not even worried? I mean, we've been doing this for 20 years. I mean, what, what are you going to do? I don't know. Well, you're not even worried about it. What, you got some savings? No, not really. I mean, but I do have a God, my Father, who's my provider. In fact, he's been providing me for the whole time. This job wasn't my provider at all. He blessed me with the job, but this job was never my source. I never put my trust in that. I never put that kind of weight on this job and on my boss. So you know what? God will still come through. That's called being a light in darkness, being a salt in the earth. So we have to learn how to be his church and what his church looks like. Amen? So there's no strife. There's no division. There's no dissension. Any of those crazy, silly, look, I, I, I don't have time for it in this church. It won't happen. I don't have a Facebook. My wife does. And I, 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 I just, I had to get rid of it, man. I, I can't get involved with all that stuff. I can't look at all that and, and, and be moved by, half the time you end up reading into stuff that, that's not even true anyways. It's a mess. But I don't have time for that in this church. We'll be sending people Facebook messages. You're trying to hint to them an idea, but you're not really coming out. Just give me a phone call, man. If you got some beef with someone else, go to them. That's what the Bible says. Go to your brother in private. I mean, he's given us a, a full layout on how to take care of this thing, which means he obviously anticipated it taking place. Otherwise, he wouldn't need to put it in there. But you go to them in private. If they don't receive you, then you take someone with you. If they still don't receive you, you take them before the elders of the church, the pastors. If they still don't receive you, then you bring them before the church. I've been in churches where we've had to go to the last step, and it caused the whole group of people to have to leave the church. Can't believe he'd bring them before the church like that. Can't believe he'd, he'd make a mockery of them. You can't believe your pastor would obey the Bible? You can't believe your pastor would be such a good shepherd to you and watch out for the flock so much and have a care for the flock so much that he brought that person. You think that's exciting for the pastor to have to bring up someone that has failed in a certain area? No, it's not exciting for anybody. So other people walk in offense and they get someone else's offense on them. They didn't even have beef with the pastor. It was just... Well, he hurt them, so I'm siding with them. Now, I'm siding with the word. And I thank God that for the last eight years, almost nine years, I've had a godly pastor that has been a pastor according to the word of God and has watched over, shepherded this flock, the flock of Anchor Faith in St. Augustine, the way he did, and was man enough to call me on junk that was going on. Man enough to call on other people. But I'll tell you this, 
He's also covered a lot of people. He's covered a lot of people. There's things that I know about people that, and as a pastor, you want to come out and say, man, if you only knew. But you can't. You can't do it. He's now the evil person because we had to do something with this and how we handled this situation. Because they refused to do anything with the word that came before that. And, and bottom line, it, it, if I ever had to talk to anybody about something, I'm the second one to do it. Because the Holy Spirit lives in you and has been calling you on that for way long. If I have to be brought in, that's because you've been ignoring the one that lives inside of you who's been throwing up red flags saying we don't need to be doing that. We don't need to be acting that way. We don't need to be involved in this thing. We don't need to be around these type of people. And you've been ignoring that. Oh, that's all right. It's all right. It's all right. And now I come in because we've been ignoring someone else. That's how it works. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You don't need me to tell you what's going on. Because the Holy Spirit's been doing it long before me. That is his church. For some of us, that might be new. For some of us, these principles and these concepts that we're looking at, they might be new principles. Oh, no, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know about that. We're only going with the Bible. Because remember what we said, uh, if you're going to be connected to the head, you're connected to Jesus. Jesus, in John chapter 114, verse 14, says that Jesus was the word who became flesh. How do you know a church is his church? Because they, the center focus is the word. They're connected to the word. It's connected to the head. We have to make the word the center focus. I've had people, even in, in, in this church, come to me about different things that they thought maybe I was preaching wrong or were incorrect. But I will never, I will never come off of what this says. Now, if, if they show me and it's incorrect, thank God, for, thank God for you for coming and showing me that you cared enough for me about that. But if you refuse to see the word, I don't, I don't have to go after you because my, my connection and my heart is always back to this. This is the center. That's why I don't come in with emails and funny jokes and videos. That's not the center. You know, when I, when I was growing up, you know, media was just starting to come in in the late 90s. And so youth pastors a lot, when I was in youth ministry, they would use, they'd play a funny video off of, you know, Dumb and Dumber or something stupid, you know. And then they'd bring, and then they would find a way to tie that to their message. No, if I bring in a video, it's because it is a resource to what we're doing here. But I, if I didn't have the video, I could still get the message across. The question we have to ask. If we didn't have the lights and the cameras and the action and, and all the stuff going on, could we still do what, we, what we're doing? Because I'll tell you who I don't want to do church without is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> He's the one ingredient that I can't do church without. I can't be the church without Him. I can't be the church without the Word because I'm, I'm not the church anymore. I'm a body that is separated from the head and I'm dead. I don't want to be that. So this is a church that values the word, values the Holy Spirit. That is the center focus over everything that we do, that we'll ever do. Family potluck is centered around the word. You know why? Because in Acts chapter 4, it says that the church, the beginning of the church, came together and they fellowshiped daily with one another, breaking bread. Now, we're going to break all kinds of stuff next door here in a little bit. But they fellowship. They hung out. And if there's people that you don't know yet, congregate and talk to them. There's people you haven't been introduced to, you haven't made a whole lot of communication with, get to know them. We're family. We're a body. We're one body. We got to get to know each other because we are connected to each other as well as to the head. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you your word is truth. Your word is life. Truth is what sets us free, Father. We thank you that we can know the truth, and the truth sets us free. Father, you have given us freedom 
in your word because your word brings life. Your word brings liberty. This isn't binding us. This isn't controlling us. This isn't wrapping us up and keeping us from doing anything. It's giving us the opportunity to experience full life in your church. We don't want to do what someone's doing down the street. We don't want to do what feels good, sounds good. We want to do the word. So, Father, I thank you that this church right here, Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, I thank you that you're raising us up to be your church. And because we're doing what, we're, what needs to be done on the inside, you're going to give us great influence on the outside. You're going to give us influence in schools. You're going to give us influence in our communities. You're going to give us influence with our government leaders here in town. You're going to give us influence uh, in, in our workplaces and, and businesses. Everything that we do, Father, it's going to be for the kingdom of God. We're going to advance your kingdom because we are appropriating ourselves in your body properly. In Jesus' name. Amen.